0: Have you ever walked past a dumpster and then, like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that fast. Yeah, there's <laughs> a TV in the
1: listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy
0: and... And I'm Kevin.
1: And we're coming back at you this week with episode 72, which is our second part of Kip Kinkle. We do recommend that if you haven't listened to part one yet to go back to episode 71 and listen to that one first, because this kind of covers the second half of his crimes and the aftermath. Whereas the first episode kind of covers his childhood and the first, the start of his rampage, if you will.
0: You don't start a story from the middle, basically, <laughs> is what she's saying.
1: Well, actually, a lot of writers do. It's called *in medias res*.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, I didn't know this was going to be a literature which is, lesson. Which is Latin, Little for Miss it.
1: English teacher? Yeah. yeah. It's well, *in medias res* is Latin for "in the middle of things," so. It's actually a strategy that a lot of writers use, but we didn't use it for this one. We mean it to be chronological, so we're, we not fancy with that Latin. But I know in the last episode, we said we were going to have this episode out quickly, like quicker than a regular episode, because we were really excited to do the second half. But then our week took a very different turn, and we're sad to report that our sweet, sweet, beautiful dog, Freckie, Who We've had for well over a decade. She passed away um, one week ago last Thursday. So we were kind of set to record that night and um, she passed away and we've been pretty devastated. So we're doing okay now. Um, She was sick for a really, really long time. So that's, that's where we're at. Anything you want to say?
0: I don't know what to say about that.
1: Yeah, I know. Frecky was your best friend. Like you guys were inseparable. It's brutal.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I don't know.
1: I know. It's even hard to talk about. But we just wanted to mention, like, we did anticipate this episode coming out a week sooner. But obviously, unforeseen circumstances, we really thought that she was kind of taking a turn and getting better. Like, we knew she was never going to be great because of her diagnosis and stuff. But we just didn't know it was going to happen like that. So anyways, not to totally be a downer, but... We're gonna be a downer because we're talking about Kip Kinkle, which is a which is a downer.
0: This is a pretty sad story. I mean, it's a true
1: crime show, you guys. You know, true crime, sad.
0: It's seldom happy.
1: We've had a couple okay, like no, they're all sad to some extent. <laughs> so we're gonna get started with Kip Kinkle part two. So, like I said, if you're still listening and you haven't listened to seventy one yet, what are you doing? Go back. Again, I want to say that. The majority of the information that I'm getting for this episode comes from a Huffington Post article by Jennifer Schulberg, and it was, I believe, published this year. So that's one of the reasons I'm relying so heavily on it. It's probably like 25 to 30 page story. It's very, very, very in-depth, and it was written over a period of 10 months with over 20 hours of interview time via phone because most of it was during COVID. So she wasn't able to go meet with him in person. And the article is called Kip Kinkle is Ready to Speak. Now, I cover a lot of aspects of the article here, but that article is so in-depth. I highly, highly, highly recommend reading it if you're into this case at all. It also goes into a lot of statistics of like juvenile offenders towards the end and the disproportionate amount of men of color and boys of color that certain laws affect. So we'll, we'll get to that, but it's just, it's a really amazing article and you can tell she put her heart and soul into it. So I highly recommend finding that online.
0: So last episode, we left off with Kip getting in trouble pending expulsion at school for buying a stolen gun and stuffing it into his locker. After being questioned by detective Al Wartheran, he admitted to buying the gun, but said he didn't know it was stolen. Nonetheless, you can't bring a loaded or unloaded gun to school. After Bill Kinkle, Kip's dad, picked him up from the police station, they returned home. Alone in his room, Kip contemplated suicide, but the voices in his head told him to kill. Kinkle got his Ruger 22 caliber semi-automatic rifle from his bedroom and ammunition from his parents' bedroom. He went into the kitchen and shot his father once in the back of the head then dragged his body into the bathroom and covered it with a sheet. When Kip's mom arrived home at about 6.30 p.m., he met her in the garage, told her he loved her, then shot her twice in the back of the head, three times in the face, and once in the heart. He then dragged her body across the floor and covered it with a sheet.
1: Ugh. He said he loved her before he did it, too. That's what's... Dude.
0: After a noisy night of voices yelling at him, he left for school. He dressed in a long trench coat. He filled his backpack with ammunition and carried three guns, a 22 caliber semi-automatic Ruger rifle, his father's nine millimeter Glock pistol and a 22 caliber Ruger semi-automatic pistol. He taped a hunting knife to his leg and he drove his mother's Ford Explorer to school. He parked one block from the high school and walked down a dirt path, taking a shortcut past the tennis court and into the back parking lot. At 7.55 a.m., Kip entered the school. He saw three boys walking in front of him. In a recent phone interview with the Huffington Post, Kinkle recalled, quote, there is quite literally a struggle inside myself because I was being told to. The line falls silent. Then he says, shoot these boys. But he didn't. He recognized one of the boys, told him to stay away, then headed toward the cafeteria. On the way, he pulled a rifle out of his coat and shot 16-year-old Ben Walker in the head. He, <laughs> con- yeah. he continued walking and shot another boy, Ryan Atterbury, in the side of the face. He entered the cafeteria and emptied what was left of the 50-round clip. As he paused to reach for the Glock, one of the students he had shot knocked him to the ground. Kinko fired a single shot from the pistol before he was disarmed by several students. He later said he was not targeting any of his victims. They were just the ones who were there. As he lay on the ground, restrained by five of his classmates, all he could think about was how much he wanted to die. The voices had told him he could if he just did what they said. You lied to me again, he thought.
1: Within minutes of the first shot, Springfield police were at the scene. Kip was in custody by 8.04 a.m. He was like walking into the school at 7.55 and he was in custody, basically in police custody by 804. Isn't that crazy? So quick.
0: It doesn't take very long to shoot 50 rounds.
1: Yeah. He was taken to the police station to give a recorded confession. There was no lawyer present, but Kip wasn't thinking about his legal rights or his potential punishment. He just wanted to die. When detective Al Worthen stepped out of the interview room to set up the camera equipment, Kinkle managed to step through his he managed to step through his cuffed hands. He grabbed the knife that was taped to his leg. And then when the dude walked back in, he said he I think he was he charged at the detective and he said, just kill me, just shoot me. So he was basically trying to commit suicide by cop.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that. That's Yeah.
1: As Kip lunged with the knife, Worthen headed to the door. And with help from another officer locked Kip inside the room. When they reopened the door Worthen then shot a burst of pepper spray into the room and Kip dropped the knife onto the table. During the interview, the police were desperately trying to figure out why he had done what he had done. They asked him if he was abused or molested. Kip insisted that he wasn't, I don't know what's wrong with me. My head just doesn't work right. My parents were good people. I'm just so fucked up in the head, I don't know why. God damn these voices inside my head, he wailed. I had no other choice. After his confession, detectives went to Kip's house where they found the bodies of his parents. A recording of Liebestod, the final dramatic aria from Wagner's opera Tristan and Isolde, was playing on repeat in the family's sound system. How creepy is that? This like Wagner opera called like Love Death, which that's, I'm, I'm loosely translates in German to love death. And then on top of that, the reason, like the significance of the song, I mean, you could read into any way you want, but uh, in 1996, that Claire Danes, Leonardo DiCaprio film, uh, Romeo and Juliet came out. Did you ever watch that one?
0: Uh, you know, I, I, I think I skipped that one.
1: Really? 1996? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm how old were you? I was grown. You were
1: 20. Oh, yeah, it was kind of past your time. See, I was. See, I'm not 13. a weirdo. I was 13. So I was in the or 12, 12, 13 years old. That was my prime time to watch me some Leonardo DiCaprio. Whew. Settle down. Oh. But he's so like he's so not he's so not my type, but he was so cute in that movie. Oh, my God. Anyways, so this was from one of the dramatic scenes from Romeo and Juliet as well. And it was actually the soundtrack, the the compact disc, if you will, of the film's soundtrack that was playing in the family's sound systems. It was like blasting throughout the house. I don't know I don't know if it was blasting, but I imagine it was. I just think it's creepy. And it was on repeat on that song too, Tod, Love death. Yeah. Police searched the house and found several explosive devices hidden in the crawl space. Weapons Kip had built at the height of his delusional belief that the Chinese military would soon roll through his town in tanks. When the threat of invasion began to feel less immediate, Kip stashed the explosives in a place he figured his parents wouldn't find it. They also found a bomb in his room made up of soda cans and one made, of a, made inside of a fire extinguisher. So apparently they had to like, you know, a bomb squad came in and they detonated the things like, I guess, on the premises and they like evacuated the whole neighborhood and stuff. They made kind of a big production of it because they're like, dude, if this dude is hiding bombs in his like crawl space, like what the fuck else is in here? You know, really? Yeah. This is the note that was found on the coffee table in the Kinkle's living room after Kip's arrest.
0: Quote, I have just killed my parents. I don't know what is happening. I love my mom and dad so much. I just got two felonies on my record. My parents can't take that. It would destroy them. The embarrassment would be too much for them. They couldn't live with themselves. I'm so sorry. I'm a horrible son. I wish I had been aborted. I destroy everything I touch. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I didn't deserve them. They were wonderful people. It's not their fault or the fault of any person, organization, or television show. My head just doesn't work right. These goddamn voices inside my head. I want to die. I want to be gone. But I have to kill people. I don't know why. I'm so sorry. Why did God do this to me? I've never been happy. I wish I was happy. I wish I made my mother proud. I am nothing. I tried so hard to find happiness. But you know me. I hate everything. I have no other choice. What have I become? I'm so sorry.
1: What's weird about that, as I was listening to you read it, is that he basically... Like, I like, yes, he has voices like we're going to find out later on that he is a paranoid schizophrenic. Right. So obviously he hears some kinds of voices in his head. Right. But at the beginning of the suicide note, he basically is saying why he did it, like, which is he doesn't want to disappoint his parents like he's such a failure. So it's like he gives the re- the very logical reasons why he did what he did and then he blames it on the voices. Yeah, totally. So that's what's co- kind of conflicting and I'm, you know, obviously I'm sure it came back during trial to bite him in the ass, but he says straight up like it's nobody's fault but my own. I wasn't influenced by these things and I did this because I suck and I didn't want to disappoint my parents.
0: It, we'll get into it in a second, but he kind of talks about how stressful situations make these voices oh worse m- more yeah. intense so yeah. uh i think him getting these felonies and then having to confront his parents about it was making these voices freak out it was yeah. it's all stress induced
1: yeah totally but it it does the, the letter is conflicting though no, it's I like mean, he this says, is the reason but this is also the reason it's going to yeah it's going to it's going to put the nail in the coffin for him for sure Kipp's murderous rampage went viral the next morning. His picture was plastered on the front page of the New York Times. Even President Clinton traveled to Springfield right after to meet with the families of the victims. Between his arrest and his arraignment, Kip spent 18 months in solitary confinement awaiting trial. First in a juvenile detention center and then after his 16th birthday in adult county jail.
0: That's a long time.
1: That is a fucking long time. I mean that is a torture
0: you're already tactic. like like have mental problems
1: yeah and i believe that the reason that they put him in solitary confinement quote unquote was for his own good because it was such a high profile case that if he was in any kind of like general population kind of thing that he probably would have been targeted and either at True. least beat up or yeah. definitely killed True. you know what i mean so there's no happy medium i think unfortunately for kip and i don't think there's sh- and, and and many people think that there shouldn't be because he's a monster potentially you know
0: right. well so, at so least he is wasn't
1: 18 months as a 15 year old 16 year old in solitary confinement that's fucking brutal
0: at least he wasn't totally alone
1: he, the lockdown that we just witnessed was is about 18 months right which maybe we're going back into again which we don't have to go there but uh 18 months so from yeah. the time the lockdown started back in march Could you imagine if on March 15th, which is about when the lockdown started, right? Right. If I had just shut you in the bathroom and not talked to you and threw away the key until now. Could you imagine that? No. That's fucking crazy. That's so long. Nobody to talk to, except for literally the voices in your head. (laughs) Yeah. That's fucking crazy. That was my bad joke. I'm sorry. I'm a horrible person. He was left to deal with his overwhelming sense of guilt loss, and self-loathing, mostly in isolation. Solitary confinement is widely recognized, like I said, as a form of torture, and to Kip, it made the symptoms of his illness all-consuming. This is crazy. This is straight from the Huffington Post article. When one of his teeth started protruding outward, the result of not wearing his retainer in jail, because remember, he just had braces. He's a kid. Kip believed his crooked tooth was being used as an antenna For the chip in his brain. When he found out he was going to have an MRI, he was relieved that everyone could finally see the chip and realize that the government and Disney were to blame. At times, he could no longer tell where his body ended and the walls of the prison began. Less than a year after the Thurston High School massacre, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, do you know who those guys are? Columbine. Yep killed 13 people at Columbine High School in Colorado before killing themselves. Kip sobbed when he found out, thinking that he may have been the inspiration for their mass shooting. The voices told them that it was his fault and that he should hang himself. He spent that night punching himself in the head, trying to force the voices out. Kip was examined by multiple doctors who concluded his symptoms were consistent with paranoid schizophrenia, although some said a final diagnosis should wait until he was older. Kip underwent endless evaluations, but he wasn't receiving meaningful mental health treatment. He was put on medication but taken off of it for weeks at a time ahead of evaluations with doctors who would later be called on to testify about Kip's mental state.
0: Kip said, quote, it's a testament to how people were thinking about mental health. If I had a broken leg or diabetes, they weren't going to not treat my broken leg. They weren't not going to give me insulin. But my lawyers, who are supposed to have my best interests at heart, thought, as a legal strategy, the best thing we can do is to make him as psychotic as possible. Lawyers are great, right? Mm. So Kipp's arraignment was on May 22nd, 1998. He was charged with four counts of aggravated murder on june 16, 1998 kip was indicted on 58 felony charges including four counts of aggravated murder a few years before the mass shooting at thurston high school oregon voters passed measure 11 which yes. essentially tacked on mandatory minimums for certain offenders it also required kids between 15 to 17 years old who were charged with certain crimes to be tried as adults Measure 11 took away a judge's ability to consider mitigating factors before sending a minor to adult court, such as past trauma or developmental immaturity. This gave prosecutors tremendous leverage in convincing kids to take plea deals that still carried lengthy sentences. Obviously, Arkansas did not have these laws in place back in 98 for the Jonesboro shooting that we talked about in the last episode.
1: Yeah. And if you forget, it was the 11-year-old and the 13-year-old that killed, uh, I think I misspoke last episode. I think I said four people. I think they killed five people. So an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old, because of the laws that Arkansas had in place for minors, they said basically if you're under 18. I'm obviously not I don't know the law word for word but it basically said if you're a juvenile offender under the age of 18 that you serve in a some kind of juvenile detention facility until you turn 18 and it wasn't until they put on some like different charges that they actually served until they were 21 but I mean so we're talking massacre worse than what kip kinkle did and they were out the younger the the older one he was out in eight years and the younger one was out in like 10.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. That's like some
1: like Swedish if, if, punishment. If Kip Kinkle had committed this crime in Arkansas when he did, you know, he would have he would have been already out for almost well over a decade at this point cuz it's been over 20 years since his crime. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, that's pretty wild.
1: Yeah, and it's like that in a lot of other states as well, but I know that they're phasing out and they're really like changing laws. That, you know, cause we've just never seen, like, I would say, you know, in terms of like mass shootings and stuff, it's just kind of unprecedented right now, you know, like not like right now, right now, but I'm just saying like,
0: you're we've, not wrong. We've, we've
1: kind of violent crime. A, we, we've is gone up away with, everywhere. Yeah. We've gone away with serial killers and we've, we've now adopted the mass shooter because serial killers forensics is so good now that. There is no such thing really as serial killers yeah. anymore because they're Unless
0: caught. you're like Israel Keys or something.
1: Yeah. They have to be freakishly. I mean, obviously there are serial killers that pop up here and there, but because of police work and forensics, serial killers don't have a chance to be serial killers. So instead, you know, a lot of theories say that like the people who normally would be serial killers are now mass shooters instead, basically.
0: After a lot of legal finagling and public pressure to plead guilty and put the tragedy behind them, Kip wasn't in the best position to make an informed decision. Going off his medication for several weeks had caused the voices to return. He had not yet accepted his diagnosis and was terrified of being, quote, retarded, as he put it at the time. Being sent to a mental institution didn't seem much better than prison, and he was desperate to avoid the courtroom. For years, he had tried to manage the voices by limiting his exposure to high-stress situations, avoiding the, quote, bad days. Even the stress of brief appearances in court prompted the voices to gang up on him. He feared a long, drawn-out trial would be unbearable. He took a plea. Next would be his sentencing hearing. Days before his sentencing was expected to begin, Kinko was found curled up in a ball, struggling to breathe after experiencing a panic attack and hearing voices. He signed the agreement to plead guilty a few days later, before he'd had the chance to read most of the document.
1: Yeah, he just wanted to be done with it. He wanted to, he, but that's the thing. He's so that's part of the thing with like juveniles and minors and stuff. You know, is that they don't understand the lasting implications of what it is that they're signing, what it is totally. they're doing, and stuff. Right? He could have tried to fight the case. He could have pled, he you know that he was mentally ill and like there actually is a chance he could have gotten out had he really understood the implications of what he was doing. And, you know, whether he should or shouldn't be is, you know, up to every single person listening. You know, like we, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Kip Kinkle being out and about in the world. I do know that there are people who, mass shooters in the past, who have done worse things that are out and haven't recommitted. And there are people who have been out and have recommitted. So it's it's hard to say. The famous one from our area is David Adius, who I believe he's probably changed his name by now, but he was the dude who killed a bunch of people in Isla Vista. Right. In like, what, 2001, the Angel of Death guy? He lives around here. He killed like at least a couple of people, three, four people. And he, he lives around was he that hit him
0: Was he the guy that hit him with the car? Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, he lived at my old dorms at UCSB, Francisco Torres Dorms. And then he had a mental break and took his car and ran down a bunch of people in Isla Vista. His parents were really, 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 really wealthy. Right. And they fought hard and court. Did he have and affluenza? Got... No, it wasn't him. But you could... I mean, that was a different guy. But basically they, he was mentally ill. Like, I'm not going to say he wasn't, but, he was mad that but, he couldn't
0: get laid. That was the bottom line, right? No, no,
1: no. no. You're thinking Elliot Roger.
0: Okay. I get all that. That's guys another guys I love killer. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. No. And, and Elliot Roger and David addius have a lot in common, but except for David addius Well, Elliot Roger died though. And David addius lived and he went through his trial and he was given, I think seven or 10 years, seven to 10 years in like a mental institution because he actually won his insanity defense and he's out, you know, and, and, and that's the thing. If we truly believe that our system can rehabilitate people like David Adias or Kip Kinkle, then, then maybe they should be let back out. I mean, to, to my knowledge, David Adias, who, you know, killed a bunch of people in Isla Vista, which is Goleta, California over by UCSB, I mean, if it worked for him, I I don't know. You know, this is where obviously humans are unpredictable. So you can't say yeah. that like we if we let Kip out, he's never going to kill again. You know,
0: mental health seems like such a hard thing to keep track of as far as like.
1: Yeah. And also like he the reason what we, we're going to see later on as we continue on. The reason that Kip Kinkle is sort of OK is that he has intense therapy and meds that he takes. The second he potentially, let's say he's let out
0: right, and, and, doesn't he, can't, take
1: his... and he doesn't upkeep his therapy yeah. or he doesn't upkeep his meds. Are you going to have, is someone like going to follow him around forcing a pill down his exactly. throat every That's six hours? Yeah, yeah. Like, so like, is it something that he could potentially do? Yes. But is it realistic? I don't think so. I don't. Yeah. Well, we'll get there.
0: So. Under Oregon law, a sentencing hearing is like a mini-trial in which both sides present evidence to the judge to argue for a more severe or more lenient sentence. The rules of evidence are slightly more relaxed than in an actual trial, however. For example, experts are allowed to express their opinions more freely than in a jury trial. Over the course of the six-day hearing, which started on November 2, 1999, Judge Jack Madison heard testimony from many people. Kip's friends and family, detectives, teachers, doctors, and psychiatrists. He also heard statements from many of the shooting victims and their families. On September 24, 1999, Kip took a plea agreement and pled guilty to four counts of murder and 26 counts of attempted murder. In court, Kip was made out to be a calculating monster by the prosecution. They accused Kip of faking his delusions and voices downplaying his mental health and the manifestations that come with it. Numerous medical experts testified that he wasn't faking it. Psychiatrist William Sack said Kip's crimes were, quote, directly the product of a psychotic process that he had been building intermittently in him over a three-year period. He predicted that with the medication and consistent psychiatric care... Like
1: we were talking about.
0: Yeah. Kinko could safely return to the community in 25 or 30 years. Quote, so he said, I would be happy to have him as my next-door neighbor if those conditions were met. But how do you monitor that?
1: Exactly. Victims and their families testified before the court, most asking for the maximum punishment for Kip's crimes. The only victim's family member that testified on Kip's behalf was, of course, his sister Karen, who, or Karen
0: karen
1: Kristen, and she's actually i believe the last i read she is an educator in the portland area i don't know if she works for portland public Schools specifically but yeah that's who i used to work for she spoke of his compassion and potential she stated only in hindsight do i truly see the signs of someone who is in desperate need of help different help than any of us knew how to give Kristen told the judge that she encouraged Kip to go to a quote-unquote safe place in his memory and try to tune out the victim's anger. He stopped her and said, no, I owe it to listen to them. She predicted psychological and medical advancement in the years ahead would help her brother. He will need support, love, medical help, etc. But most of all right now, he needs hope because she was basically trying to talk the judge into giving him a lesser sentence. After everyone spoke at his sentencing, he addressed the courtroom. So this is Kip speaking.
0: I have spent days trying to figure out what I want to say. I have crumpled up dozens of pieces of paper and disregarded even more ideas. I've thought about what I could say that might make people feel just a little bit better, but I have come to the realization that it really doesn't matter what I say. Because there is nothing I can do to take away from the pain and destruction I have caused. I absolutely loved my parents and had no reason to kill them. I had no reason to dislike, kill, or try to kill anyone at Thurston. I am truly sorry that this has happened. I have gone back in my mind hundreds of times and changed one detail, one small event so this never would have happened. I wish I could. I take full responsibility for my actions. These events have pulled me down into a state of deterioration and self-loathing that I didn't know existed. I am very sorry for everything I have done and for what I have become. On November 2, 1999, Lane County Circuit Judge Jack Madison sentenced Kip to 111 years and 8 months in prison without the possibility of parole. Judge Madison said that, quote, There was a price to be paid for each person hit by his bullets. Kip had forfeited his right to a trial and was still condemned to die in prison.
1: Immediately after the sentencing was handed down, Kip was transferred to McLaren Youth Correctional Facility, a state juvenile prison. He was housed at the secure intensive treatment program with other young men imprisoned for violent crimes. He attended school and took part in intensive therapy specifically developed for young violent offenders. He remained there until he turned 25, and the length of his stay was determined by the staff's assessment of his participation in the program and the suitability for adult prison. Kip is the first juvenile to serve a life sentence in the state of Oregon. I I actually did not know
0: that. Yeah, me either.
1: He appealed and was denied. Oh, yeah, I was trying to find... I, w- I kind of was trying to find how many times that he appealed his sentence. and I could only find three mentions when I looked for it. Maybe he's appealed more. But the first time he appealed and was denied was in 2002, so just a couple of years after his trial. And then there was a, the the biggest kind of advertised appeal was in 2018 the Oregon Supreme Court wrote that it had concluded the facts of the case coupled with the sentencing judges findings put kinkle within the narrow class of juveniles who may be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole based on a prior u.s supreme court ruling kipps new lawyers appealed his sentence based on the eighth amendment that barred sentencing a child to even virtual or de facto life without parole based on a treatable mental illness that does not preclude growth maturity and rehabilitation and they denied to hear his case again in 2019. In the correctional facility in prison, Kip has received the mental health treatment he so desperately needed years prior to his crimes. Over the years, the delusions and voices have faded away. He no longer believes there is a government chip implanted in his brain. He accepted his diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia. He's, he was able to get the proper treatment he needed because he was a high profile case. They wanted to avoid any negative press about anything involving him in prison. So taking care of him was a priority for them. So one thing that the Huffington Post article said basically was that, hey, we just want to point out that he got supremely amazing mental health treatment, which is not indicative of all of the other prisoners. The only reason like, like he got what he needed was that they needed him to not get in trouble in prison, basically. They Plus needed him to kind of like they needed to kind of shush him.
0: He's also kind of a case study, right?
1: Yeah, and and that's something we talked about last episode too. Is that he has been heavily studied? It's yeah,
0: elaborate. Like and,
1: and so like endless psychiatrists, endless psychologists, endless you know people you know mental health people have like come in interviewed him, and you know he's been in countless textbooks as like the boogeyman of yeah. school shootings. So I
0: want, I, I think that they want
1: they want to look good.
0: Exactly. They want to sell their... Their product. Yeah.
1: In May 2007, Kip received his college degree in global studies. His sister came to a ceremony. He said, I remember her saying that my... Oh, this is so sad. I remember her saying that my parents would have been really proud of me, which is a really powerful thing for me to experience. Oof. To have the feeling oh my parents would be proud of me if they were still alive and then to have the realization and they're dead because of me fuck dude
0: that level of regret is something i hope i never
1: experienced <laughs> experience. yeah months oh and this was the kind of there's a lot of cruel twists with him like obviously he got the mental health care he needed after he killed everyone and then it
0: seems like that's how it works here in the states
1: yeah, and then the another cruel kind of twist of fate is that after he gets his college degree, a couple months later, after his 25th birthday, he was transferred to the adult facility. Right. So, like, right after, like, being proud of himself for getting his college degree, he's, like, basically shut in solitary confinement because, again, making that transition from the youth juvenile facility thing, you know, to big boy jail. Yeah. A lot of people want to fucking kill him
0: he's fresh meat and exactly. he's high profile he's
1: fresh meat he's pro high profile so they did end up sticking him in solitary confinement for a while for his own good and then they basically instructed him and this is what i got from the huffington post article the the guards and like the transition people and the warden and stuff like talked to him like hey you gotta do this when someone does that you gotta they told him like fight back but But this, but like not too hard, you know, like you have to stand your ground or you're going to get fucking reamed basically, like literally, you know? And so it was a really, really, really delicate transition. And he did actually get in one fight and he did fight back and it ended fairly smoothly. Like the guards let it happen so that he could kind of prove himself. Right. And then that's when he went to solitary confinement for a while. And that was his, that to this day has been his only offense in prison ever. And it's because, like, basically, the guards told him, like, you got to fight at least a little bit to show you're not a pussy, basically. So for years. uh, Oh, and then also after he made the transition to big boy jail, he was severely overmedicated. And he says that the staff basically preferred a zombie over a monster. So, yeah. So he said there was like a period of like three to five years where he just does. He was just like walking dead, you know and that it was kind of ironic. There's a lot of irony and little twists of fate here and there, but the prison needed to save money on medications so they like changed over to a different medication because it was less expensive and it ended up being more effective for him because he it kind of he was able to get out of his mental fog oh yeah yeah so because they need to save money it actually kind of helped improve his dosage and also they did start letting more therapists and stuff into the jail and so he was able to continue his therapy and get his medicine like fixed And so he's much more like clear headed now, but he said there was a period of a couple years where he just wasn't even there. He also works in the prison to help new incoming inmates transition to prison life easier, but like there's a delicate balance to make sure that you don't organize too much because if you organize too much, you're recognized as a gang basically in the prison. And so he has to be really, really, really careful about how he like meets with people. But regardless, he still like tries to make the transition for incoming inmates like easier, which I think is weirdly commendable. You know,
0: seems like he's doing what he can to
1: to make amends, I guess. Yeah. So the predictions Kinkle's sister Kristen made at his sentencing over 22 years ago have really come true. Kristen said, I was 21 years old, grieving the loss of my entire family, my privacy, and my faith in what kinds of things happen to good people. But for me, this was perfectly clear. My brother was then, and still is, intelligent, capable, and full of potential and the desire to positively impact the world. Kip said to the Huffington Post, I imagine your readers might expect to describe the differences between who he is now and the monster he was portrayed to be in the media, but I can't because he never was that monster. I think people feel a need to believe he was in order to reconcile what he did. But the sincere truth is that he was then and is now a good and accountable human being who suffers severely from a serious mental illness. The biggest change is external that we know now what it is and how to treat it and have been doing so successfully for many years. So he's that. That's a weird quote because he's talking about himself in third person. Also, the Huffington Post article has a lot on the the SB one zero zero eight that bill and how it passed in the state of Oregon and how it could mean another chance for Kip to be free, which gives a glimmer of hope for him, but it pisses off victims and families for sure, What's and they that, hope oh? that that day never comes. It's basically saying that you can't you can't give life sentences to minors and there, it's very complicated. And that's one of the reasons that the the writer of the Huffington Post article spends like multiple pages on it. So I don't think I could I, I don't think I could do it justice. And I'm definitely not a lawyer, but I do know that SB 1008, it did pass. And it what it does is it opens back up that possibility of him getting out. Okay. And I think that part of SB 1008 is an acknowledgement of how fucked up Measure 11 was and how it hurts, like I was saying earlier, how it hurts disproportionately boys and men of color and how they're disproportionately in prison and incarceration in the state of Oregon and all over at way higher rates than people that are white people.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's an industry.
1: Yeah and you know and it kind of reminds me of that really really it's it's dated but it's an amazing documentary on Netflix called The 13th if you haven't seen it yet which I'm assuming most of our listeners have it's been out for a good like six or seven years I teach it almost every single year and every single year kids are amazed at how fucked up our prison industrial complex is which you know as I keep teaching that film and teaching about the kind of racist and unfair treatment that you know our judicial system allows like every year they're less and less surprised which is a bummer because kids like know how fucked up the world is like you can't surprise them anymore with how much more fucked up it is i guess
0: at least they know what where what they're living in
1: yeah i guess poof anyways so what do you think
0: uh mental health is that's it's I don't know. He did that stuff. He, you know, he can't... I don't think he can be in society. I know. He needs to be, like, monitored. Make sure he's taking his meds and stuff like that. You know what's scary? Like, how many people are paranoid schizophrenic out in public right now?
1: Yeah, and like I said last episode, too, that that people with serious mental illness they're more likely to be victims of, crime, victims of crime than perpetrators of crime at, like, alarmingly high rates of victims. So, like, we're not saying that people with mental illness are, like, criminals or anything like that. No. But,
0: but it's when just... they are,
1: it's fucking crazy because you, like, you really can't control that shit.
0: Yeah, because they're like chemically like off. So well, and
1: so they're and they're chemically dependent. So the second that they stop taking it, even on accident, like oh shoot, I missed it by a few hours. Like, I mean, that's that's just not a gamble. I think that anybody's willing to take with him. And I
0: I think you know the lockdowns and stuff and COVID has really made mental health issues skyrocket suicides are up like depression's way up and like the amount of people taking you know antidepressants and stuff like that in the in the US is like crazy big pharma is like
1: but like, is that a good it, thing or a bad thing? Cuz uh, it does mean that people are being treated maybe at too high of rates are you thinking? I mean I've heard I don't, that, I'm not I, trying so to, I'm I've not her- trying to malign you. This here. is like
0: off topic but I've heard that there's so many like People, like, on these antidepressants and, like, other drugs that, like, when you know, they piss it out and stuff and it gets into the water supply, oh, it's, it's like, affecting wildlife. Yeah,
1: I've heard that Like, too. shrimp
0: are killing themselves, I heard was one what? thing. Yeah, some crazy shit like that, yeah. Um, how,
1: how do you know if a shrimp kills itself? I don't know. Was there, like, a tiny knife in its stomach?
0: <laughs> There's a little note. <laughs> I don't know, Amy. Oh. But... I don't know if that's true. Shrimp
1: but, killing themselves is very sad. But they
0: test these waters and yeah. they're like, there's like, you know, yeah, no, uh, high levels yeah. of methamphetamines and like all these antidepressants and stuff in the water. Yeah, and there's so,
1: cocaine in the water and yeah, shit yeah, too. Yeah, because yeah. people flush their drugs when the cops come. Reminds so, me of that. It reminds me of, um, is it Goodfellas? There's
0: alligators in the sewer.
1: Well, that has nothing to do with antidepressants.
0: <laughs> well, they're probably high on antidepressants So, now.
1: but do you think that, do you think, so it sounds like you, you don't think that Kip should be given a second chance. It's okay.
0: I don't think he should he's be a just... Fucking,
1: he killed four people, including I, his parents.
0: You know, I'm not sure if solitary confinement is no, the no, place No, no, or no, him. I yeah. Uh, I don't think he's there now, but, you know, a mental hospital, if those even exist anymore, I think they just call them prisons now. Yeah. I think they closed all the mental health hospitals and they just put them all in prison. Or just let them on the street. I mean, there are state
1: state hospitals for like basically the criminally insane. I know I was going to say that, but I think that's an outdated term.
0: Yeah, I think it's a cool Slayer song. (laughs) But yeah.
1: So there it is. Or if you've
0: gone to any like uh, city in the States in the last couple of years, I'm sure you've seen mentally ill people just wandering the streets because that's they closed the hospitals and now they're on the streets sad state of affairs our country is in I think
1: yeah and I have to agree with you I have a heart when it comes to Kip Kinkle and I know I feel like we kind of have a slanted view of him because of this Huffington Post article that really humanizes him because I feel like in the past he's been demonized and I think that it's only been somewhat recently that he's been humanized and as a result I do have conflict. I have conflicting feelings about how I feel about him. Like meaning like I feel bad for him more like worse than I do most other criminals, you know, like most criminals, it could just be like, yeah, I that piece of shit. Well, but most like,
0: criminals are like sociopaths. I have yeah, no empathy. This guy, I
1: yeah. mean, the second he got caught, he like, was like he what was, did I do? He was yeah. fucking crying and yeah. trying to kill himself and being like, what did I do? Exactly. Yeah. <sighs> I just... I hate it. I feel like if someone... I'm, I it's just, a sad
0: story. It is. But like... But, his mean, par- but
1: also at the same time, his fucking parents did try to help him for months and months and months before he committed the crime.
0: By buying so him guns I- and explosives. Well,
1: that and also taking him to therapy. He took Prozac for at least three months. I mean, I don't know. It's just... I don't think that his parents understood, obviously, the severity of his mental health issues. He wasn't and disclosing. Bill Kinkle, yeah. Bill Kinkle also said um, to many of his friends that he thought... That mental health was bullshit and it was just a way for insurance companies to make more money he said that to his friends he didn't believe in mental health
0: i guess he found out yeah shit that's sorry
1: no i know it's it's dark as fuck we're just trying to make sense of it and there is no sense to make of it because he can't even make sense of it so you know we're that's not what we're here to do we're just here to tell you a story that sucks so there you go
0: you're welcome (laughs) and thanks for listening this week (laughs) You can join our True Crime Dumpster Facebook group. You could follow us on Twitter at TC Dumpster and on Instagram at True Crime Dumpster. You can email us at True Dumpster at gmail.com. Listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, and many other platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast. Every review, rating, and referral helps us to get a larger audience. Tune in next time as we continue Talking Out the Trash. Goodbye.
1: Abigail, you want to see something? (laughs) She woke up right as we were uh, finishing. All right, bye.